Why do the other kids do everything differently? Is there something the matter with you? I feel like I'm always rebelling. I was independent before that was cool. I did what everybody did initially with all my heroes. Went to the major labels and tried to get a deal. Nobody was interested. So I just, out of necessity, initially said, all right, well, let me figure out how to do this myself. Has anyone ever told you you're too rebellious? Or hot-blooded? Arrogant? Obsessive? How about difficult? Or maybe even a little weird? Well, you might just be a rare breed. I'm Ashley Hansberger. I'm Sunny Bonnell, and you're listening to Rare Breed, a podcast about people who harness the power of their vices and turn them into virtues. We're coming at you from our offices in lower, crazy, noisy Manhattan. This is Rare Breed. So we define a rebellious rare breed as someone who is defiant, who is disruptive, literally ungovernable, rogue even, someone who kind of just goes off, becomes who they are, and can really use that as an asset to drive to their own success. The question is, is you call yourself a rebel. At times, I didn't think I was being rebellious. A lot of times I thought that I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And people thought that it was against what they wanted me to be doing. So it, it came off rebellious. So I, instead of fighting against that, I just embraced that. But really, it started being a preacher's kid, being the only boy, too. You know, it's kind of like the family business named after my father. I was supposed to just follow in those footsteps. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not what I'm feeling. You know, that's not what I want to say. Any father, to be honest with you, would like to see their sons appreciate what they do enough to want to also do it. So that's not rare. I look at my kids and if they want to do music, that's super cool. I don't care. But if they want to, without me forcing them, I would be happy about that. I think he just wanted me to see that and want to also do that. It just came a different way for me. I, you know, I think they saw me eventually probably taking over the church at some point. And at the very least, like be a gospel artist. There's an artist that's just, I felt like that's not who I was, right? So it came off as rebellious initially. So how did he react to that? What was the drawback of saying, that's not me? It's not very rare for preacher's kids to rebel, right? Initially, they all thought that I just wanted to get away from this so bad, but it wasn't really that. I actually learned how to play in church. I would learn how to sing in church. All my friends were in church. I had a cool church experience, right? My All my boys, my drummer who's been with me, oh, 10 plus years, we started in church together. So I didn't have a bad experience, but in gospel music, usually limited to talking about God or what God does or how you feel about God. And I just wanted to talk about more. I wanted to talk about life and I wanted to talk about love, you know, and these things a lot of times aren't welcomed in the gospel arena. I didn't feel like I had to change who I was or like change my beliefs really to do what I was doing. But in history, especially in music, when they rebelled Sam Cooke or like, you know, Al Green, they usually went to the extreme of it. I'm not only going to talk about love, but I'm going to talk about knocking it down and, you know what I'm saying, and be graphic about that. I had no desire to like go against or talk about anything crazy because that's just not who I was in real life. Right. And my art just reflects that. Eventually, they realized that it wasn't rebellion, but that's what was thought at first. Like, oh, he wants to do R&B. Did you feel like you were disappointing him? I did. Yeah. Yeah, like you were failing him in some way because you weren't following in those. Yeah. He's the one who kind of freed me, empowered me more than anyone. I think for me, my father's approval was more important than anything. I literally wrote a song one night. At that point, I was like making the decision, like whether they accept it or not, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I had made that decision. Right. And I was calling my father to tell him that. 
And he was like, your mission in life has to be different from mine. You know, you're going to reach people and touch people the way I did. But I understand that it won't necessarily be the way I did. And that was breakthrough. What are you rebelling against? I feel like I'm always rebelling. In music, I was independent before that was cool, you know, uh, just like not doing the major system. So I did what everybody did initially with all my heroes, went to the major labels and tried to get a deal. Nobody was interested. So I just out of necessity initially said, all right, well, let me figure out how to do this myself. This was my space days. I had my songs up there, but then I was using CD Baby. I was always clear about how to sell things, but I signed a publishing deal and took my band on the road and told the promoters they didn't have to pay us, just pay us from whatever we make, whoever. Because I saw on MySpace that we had a following, right? Yeah. But it was so underground yeah. that promoters in cities, they didn't see those people. Yeah. And then they showed up. And But it was those type of things. But I spent a lot of, <laughs> a lot of like almost that whole publishing check <laughs> to prove, you know, but I'm still playing those markets yeah. today. I don't regret it. I was being rebellious, like it was out of the system. And I had friends like, PJ, why don't you just, you know, because I was writing songs for other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been working with Jermaine Dupri at that time and many artists. Right. And I could write songs for them that would work on the radio. I couldn't write it or do it if I didn't feel it, you know, so I couldn't make a song that was radio friendly if it didn't feel right. So in that sense, I was all my friends were hit songwriters. And and I'm like, man, I, I don't really care, you know, as an artist. To me, that was just rebellious the whole time. And I feel like. I still do that to this day in ways, you know, in music. The way, I mean, my last album, I had a song called Claustrophobic because of me wanting to exist in my own world and do things my own way. And a lot of times those thoughts and everybody's opinions and all of that tries to cloud that. And then you go from that and you get the gig of a lifetime, which is with Maroon 5. Sure, yeah. That came about kind of backwards, right? Like they, they mm-hmm. brought you out for an audition. Yeah, it was my first audition yeah. ever in life. Yeah. I was on the road for one of my albums, Walk Alone. And I was kind of burnt out, to be honest. You know, I'd been doing the indie thing for a while. I got a call from a music director friend of mine, Adam Blackstone, and he was like, would you want to play in Maroon 5? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I think Maroon <laughs> 5. This love, that was my jam. I'm yeah. like, all right, yeah, sure. So he was like, all right, cool. I, they, they were looking for a keyboard player slash singer. All right, so you're good. So I had three dates left on my tour. And then he called back and he was like, they want you to audition. And I'm like, audition? I don't even, why do you, I don't even know how to audition. <laughs> he was like, they said, just learn Sunday morning. That's it. You get accepted in the band. You're part of Maroon 5. You guys are huge. You know, you go all around the world. Mm-hmm. But at some point you break away and you say, I'm going to leave LA and I'm going to come to New Orleans. Did you feel like you were losing your identity? 100% felt like I was just losing my purpose, you know, I just didn't really know why I was doing it. Like at that moment, I was just confused. It wasn't really the maroon thing, but I think part of the band that messed me up was I started to think that I had to shoot for those same markers for my solo stuff. Yeah. I'm like, okay, all right. So we're playing. We just sold out two nights at Staples. How do I get there? But eventually it made me go inward and say, I just had hit records, but just played the Grammys, you know, maybe I have what I wanted because for all my life or all your life as an artist or a musician, you're shooting for these things. I'm supposed to hit all those things as a solo artist, right? And in a way it was like, I got what I wanted, 
but I wasn't paying attention to it in that way. I'm still on my same grind of I got to get to this. It's like, no, you're part of that. So embrace that. So then what it started to do was make me very comfortable and not have to compete. I don't, I don't have to sell records. I don't have to have a hit song on radio. I'm in a, a very successful band, you know. It made me go deeper. And I think when that started to happen, I just didn't really fit into the system that I was trying to fit in. And that kind of forced me to want to go back home. Did it make you question your self-worth outside of the band? It was more of what my definition of success was. What I thought it was were the hit records, but then I hit them and I'm like, oh, there's still more. There's legacy, right? New Orleans was a legacy movie. I knew you could leave hit records and people sing them, but what's carrying on this vision that I have? And that's what New Orleans started to be for me. And that satisfied those other things that I wanted. It didn't feel like a failure at all. I feel like I have the best of, I had just signed the little young money, you know what I'm saying? Before that, I was fine, you know, just as far as knowing my ability and understanding what it took for me to get there. Cause I had to be prepared to just get there for, for my name to be called to be there. Could you be rebellious within Maroon 5? I think I was more a rebel to my other world, showing them like I'm that too. Do you think you were going through the motions? No, I felt very fulfilled with Maroon. Yeah. It's kind of the dichotomy of me because yeah. I have to take on everything when I'm solo, right? And when I'm burnt, I get to go and be the keyboard player and the background singer. I never felt a need to rebel in that system. I think doing that was a rebellious move mm -hmm. altogether. Even Adam talked about, you know, because they started off as a punk rock band, right? right? But when we decided to go pop, he felt that was punk rock right then, in that moment. Because right. punk rock yeah. wasn't punk rock anymore. Yeah. Rebellion changes, you know? Mm -hmm. How you rebel changes, I think. What's been the biggest, like, internal struggle that you've had with rebellion and specifically, like, in your life? In the short run, like, the independent moves and the non-radio moves and all that stuff seemingly were working against me. I had to endure that and endure people not believing and not understanding. So it, in the moment, yeah, maybe it was kind of a failure. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. But then you win in the end sort of thing, right? I feel like it was a win in the end. When I think of stuff that came off as rebellious and now I see like musicians under me like doing it or like looking like me or like, you know, playing like me. Oh, yeah. The freedom of it all now mm -hmm. is just like, oh, yeah, I was right. I didn't mean to be. Necessity made me independent. Then when I got to a certain point, all those majors started to call me, right? And then I was no longer interested. Did you turn it away, like completely? I did, yeah. Wow. And, and at, at that time, yeah. again, rebellion in different moments, because then when I got to a place where I'm like, I feel like I've done all I can independently, mm -hmm. I signed the Universal, you know, and signed the Young Money, because it, that's the way I started, just out of rebellion. I'm always willing to pivot. Let's go to the next thing. You're too comfortable in this. Let's go to the next thing. Rebels tend not to accept things as they are. They always have this what if question looming around them. What would you say is the singular driving what if that you have the biggest question mark around in your life? You know, what's so crazy. I'm just being very like super transparent right now. And it may not seem like a big deal, but me being the indie king that I am, you know, in, 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 in soul music, I always question like, what if I partnered up with a brand right now? What if I partnered up with a major label right now? Like what would, how would that? And I do that all the time. And I have to call friends to either talk me off that ledge or because listen, I, I never say never, right? right? Like I said, I'm always willing to pivot, but sometimes I have to call and have that conversation. They're like, 
it's not what you think. Like, you know what I'm saying? Being in that system is different. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to talk to friends who are signing those labels and stuff. But for me, which is big because that's kind of my whole thing, right? So the fact that I question and say, man, what if I didn't have to always be the, the rebel? And what if I had a machine that pushes this, you know? So I question that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. What I love about some types of rebellion is it's, it's actually quite small. It's yeah. just micro acts of rebellion. It's like Rosa Parks. She didn't beat on the bus seats. She just sat there and made a decision. Mm -hmm. And it was a very large one that ended up changing history. So when you think about that, what price have you paid? I could have taken a lot of different routes. One being the easiest, you know, just following in my father's footsteps. I would have learned to preach and then I could have been a gospel singer and probably sold a bunch of records immediately, you know, because my father's name and what I did. So I think in those instances, I just slowed the process way down for myself. That's the price that I really paid. It's like, man, stuff I wanted immediately. I just had to wait years and years for, for the payoff, you know, and uh, I'm grateful now. But yeah, sometimes I didn't see the end. You know, I didn't see that it was going to work out the way that I wanted to, my only motivation was was being exactly who I wanted to be. And I was just going to have to be okay with that. What makes you such a rare breed? You know, I didn't follow a blueprint. What I did kind of bridging that gap and making it okay for even church kids to be in clubs and like, it just hadn't really been done, you know? So I think in that sense, kind of a rare breed. I didn't know it at the time. And sounds like you've thought a lot about the legacy that you want to leave. What is that? It's being free. If anything, I want to leave for kids that come behind me to be themselves, really, you know, and be okay with that. And don't let people who don't understand what that means in the moment, don't let that deter you. You know what I'm saying? Because it can happen. Your friends especially are the ones that influence you the most. So when they're like, I don't know, man, you know. Be yourself, and eventually they'll either fall in line or they won't be there anyway. That maybe is a small thing, but what that seed plants and grows, if we were all ourselves and doing what we were supposed to do, man, we would be so much more powerful just as a people, right? Like if all the fingers did what they were supposed to do. More than anything, more than music, because I think that translates into music, it translates into business, everything. Be an individual, you know, and fight for it. That was beautiful. I really respect that about you. Anyone who wants to pay it forward by saying it's okay to be who you are, the world is better if you are, Absolutely. it's beautiful. I love that. All right, so we're going to do the hot seat. My motto is? My motto is be yourself. The world would be better if? Everybody would be themselves. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Do it again, do it already. again. No, <laughs> <laughs> What's the next answer? Oh, hey, man, right, that's right, truth. Right, that's right, truth. Right. That uh, is truth. Um, I mean, that is truth to me, but the world would be a better place if we loved more, I think. I'm not very good at. Not very good at. It's not that I'm great at everything. I just can't think of the one thing I might number. Um, I'm not good at tennis. <laughs> I'm good at that basketball. That basically means you're good at everything. I can play football. I'm good at basketball. I was about to say cooking, but I'm kind of okay. nice on the grill, yeah. so it's like I don't want right, to say right. that about myself. It's not true. <laughs> you can't find. You can't figure out anything else you're tennis. not good at. I'm tennis. Not good at tennis. tennis. What, what, what are you not good at? Oh God. <laughs> what can you think of it right too, now? Too much. I am not good at. I am not good at cooking. Guitar. 
Like, yeah, we're both guitar. These are both answers. Seriously, playing can, the guitar yeah, no, is kind of the same. same. Yeah, no, exactly. no, I just gave one. Though. Yeah, cooking is was the one that was <laughs> yeah. going to be my go-to, but I'm yeah. actually all right. You can, I'm you can all make right. a you can make a burger. I will the grill. burn oh, your yeah, toast. Ribs. Yeah, yeah, you will burn. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> you will be like, what is <laughs> what that? Is this? What is this? Is this a meal? Yeah. Next one. The biggest misconception about me is. The biggest misconception about me is that I'm serious. You know, I like to have fun. I like to laugh at it. I don't take myself too seriously, even though I got to talk about deep things and write songs about deep things. I'm, I like to have a good time. It bothers me when? It bothers me when I'm misunderstood. I never thought. I never thought that I would move back to New Orleans. Someday I'm going to. Someday I'm going to relax. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm about to go I'm real hard. And I just can't wait till I just won't be able to do that. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. just take a deep breath. Yeah. I love that. That's a good All answer, right. though. It's true. No one's given us that yet. If you're inspired by this episode and ready to turn your vices into virtues, get your hands on a copy of our explosive new book, Rare Breed, a guide to success for the defiant, dangerous, and different. It's available at thisisrarebreed.com and wherever you buy books. You can also listen to all of our Rare Breed interviews with celebrities, misfits, oddballs, and entrepreneurs at thisisrarebreed.com slash interviews. Be sure to share this podcast, tell your friends, and join us on social at This Is Rare Breed. Remember those simple rules of office etiquette, and you'll get along in the business world.